In this episode of the Orthodox Ethos Podcast, the church is a hospital where sicknesses are healed, and the story of the life-giving church throughout the ages, a fount of healing, and answers to your many questions. We've been the recipient of many, many letters and questions and comments since we began this podcast just a few weeks ago. And, of course, there are too many to answer online, but I'm going to take a few today uh, after we talk about, first, this great feast that we celebrated here on Friday of Bright Week. I'm going to take the opportunity to read some of the questions and address them because I think they're going to be uh, concerns that many of our viewers have. Uh, there's debates online about how best to approach this crisis among Orthodox Christians. Should there be a quarantine or is herd uh, immunity better? Uh, is it uh, lockdowns appropriate or is Sweden's example better? And we can go on for hours and hours, as happens online, discussing all of the ins and outs. I'm not going to address those issues in this podcast. You can visit uh, the Facebook page and other places to see the discussion that's going on. The question that matters most, however, for us Orthodox Christians concerns the church and our whole body's health, our whole body and soul, our whole humanity. The church is a hospital. You've heard that said, I'm sure, many times. There are many books written on it. We have our doctors. We have our medicine. Healing happens in the church every day. Every day, the church is healing soul and body. And yet, we are closed on Sunday, and our medicine is locked away. This is what should concern us all, and what is at the heart of the problem that we're facing as an orth Orthodox people, community, and church the globe over. We may be giving the impression, not only to the world, but even to our own people and to our inquirers and our catechumens, that the church is not a hospital. That it's not a place of healing per se. It could be occasionally, but not mainly. Uh, but it's simply a meeting place, a gathering place. And as such, it needs to be shut down because in large gatherings, the virus is, is spread. <clears throat> the letters that you'll hear a bit later will certainly uh, indicate that this impression is being given not only to the people outside, as I said, but the people in the church. One man wrote to me, pious people are also infected, so prayers will not help you. And then he said, it is an obvious fact. People think that they would not risk their health by going to the churches and kissing icons. We had several pandemics, and the church could not save any life by its beliefs back then. So to this skeptic, and to all the skeptics uh, who look at the church as a place that is simply a gathering of people who have certain beliefs, this is my answer. I think I gave this answer to the man online, but I'll give it to you as well. We live in a fallen world. When we are immersed in the consequences of sin and apostasy, it is, of course, not 
right to think that we will avoid sicknesses in this condition, in the midst of this corruption. However, into the world of brokenness, broke through and came our Lord, the physician of our souls and our bodies. His body, the church, is where he makes people well. This is his hospital. It is a hospital for souls and bodies. And every single day, not only are healings of, recorded therein, and healthy, uh, the healthy are commemorated, but health is imparted. It is a daily occurrence. There is no other place on earth like it. And to it run all who desire the health of their soul and their body. Those who come in humility, ready to listen to the physician and carry out his regimen for perfect health, they kiss the icons, they take the andidoron, they commune of the holy mysteries, they kiss the hand of the priest, profusely in love and devotion and thanksgiving, seeing in them, in all of the holy things of the church, eternal life, and receiving from them and all of the holy objects, those set aside by and for God, that's what it means to be holy, set aside and for and by God, they see in these things life and mercy, the mercy of God. The church has saved innumerable souls and bodies from sicknesses. And today we're going to commemorate, this is the Friday uh, of Bright Week, every year we commemorate a great feast, which commemorates the many innumerable healings of soul and body. So this is very instructive for our day and age, which is stop and listen and read the Synaxarian. And I'm going to do exactly that. This is the Friday of Bright Week, and we read the Synaxarian, in the Synaxarian, the history of the church of the Theotokos, the life-giving spring, which is in Constantinople, which since the 5th century, since the 5th century, has been a fountain of healing of soul and body. Emperors and simple people, the blind, the lame, those near death, those even who've died, you'll hear about this, were given life at this church by the Theotokos, by the grace of God, the hospital, which is the church. So let's hear. I'm going to read to you the Synaxarian for the, for the day. I'm going to read it in it's got almost the entire thing. Pay attention, and then we'll talk about it. We commemorate today the manifold great miracles that surpass all nature that were wrought in this church by the mother of God. This church was first built by the great emperor Leo of Thrace, also named Macales, in the year of our Lord 454, 1,570 some odd years ago. It was located outside the walls of Constantinople near the Golden Gate, not far from the Seven Towers district. This man was good, humble, and kind-hearted even before he ascended the imperial throne. One day, as he was walking near the place which would later be the site of the church, he found a blind man who was wandering about. Taking him by the hand, <clears throat> Leo comforted him as they went on their way. Drawing near to the place where the spring was, the blind man became thirsty and begged Leo to give him some water to quench his thirst. Leo went deeper into the woods, where the, full of dense trees and thick brush, looking for water. But finding none, he turned back, sorrowful. Returning, he heard a voice from above saying, Leo, you do not need to tire yourself, for there is water nearby. 
He again returned and searched diligently, greatly exhausting himself, but still could not find any water. And again he heard the voice, as before, saying, Emperor Leo, enter into the deepest part of the woods, and you will find a lake. Draw some cloudy water from it with your hands, and give it to the blind man to quench his thirst. Then anoint his darkened eyes with the clay, and you will immediately know who I am. For I have dwelt in this place for a long time. Leo obeyed and did as the voice commanded him, and at once the blind man regained his sight. After a short time, the mother of God had foretold, as the, as the mother of God had foretold, Leo was enthroned as emperor. At his own expense, he then built the church, the first church near this spring. Many miracles were worked daily in this church. After many years, the emperor Justinian the Great sought and received healing in this church from kidney stones, which were tormenting him. Being grateful for his cure, he rebuilt the church to the mother of the word, making it larger and more ornate. But this building was then destroyed by numerous earthquakes, and thus it was later repaired and rebuilt by the emperor Basil the Macedonian and his son Leo the Wise. During their lifetime, this spring worked many, many miracles. It healed swollen growths, kidney stones, tuberculosis, and many other forms of diseases, inflamed growths, erysipelas, characterized by high fever and watery swellings on and under the skin, issues of blood from the empress and other women, fevers lasting three or four days, separating abscesses, abscesses which discharge pus, bacterial skin infections, and barren wounds. The grace of the spring loosed the empress Zoe from her barrenness and then gave birth, and then she gave birth to the emperor Constantine Porphyrogenitas. The same spring raised a dead man from Thessaly in the following manner. He was on his way to the spring, but when he realized that he would die before reaching it, he begged the sailors to take his body to the church of the spring, and when it was time to bury him, to pour over it three pails of water from this spring. The sailors obeyed his request, and after they had poured the water over him, the dead man returned to life. After many years, the church was about to collapse, but the mother of God appeared and supported it until all the people streamed outside to safety. Water from the spring has cast out many devils from those possessed, freed many who were bound in prison, healed Emperor Leo the Wise from stones, and cured his wife Theophano from acute fevers. It delivered his brother the patriarch Stephen from tuberculosis and restored hearing to the patriarch John of Jerusalem. It healed Tarasius the patrician of acute fevers, healed his mother, Magistrisa, and his son, Stylianos, from kidney stones, and delivered a woman named Stizina from a sickness of the womb. Emperor Roman from Lacapa, along with his empress, was cured of locked bowels from drinking this water. In Chaldea, the monk Perpirin and his disciples were healed through calling upon the mother of God. And the monks, Matthew and Meletios, were delivered through her after they had been denounced to the emperor. Patricians and proconsuls and others whose names are beyond telling were healed, among whom was an Ishiat and a man named Stephen. What tongue can tell of the wonders which this water has worked and continues to work to this day? There are more numerous, they are more numerous than the drops of the rain, than the stars of the heavens and the leaves upon the trees." We have seen multitudes of these wonders in our own time. It has healed gangrene, 
poisoning by deadly potions, warts, erysipelas, leprosy, and fierce diseases. The water has cured those suffering from swellings, eye pains, tearing, and cataracts. John Varagas, who was cured of dropsy, and another Varagas, who was healed of of severe bacterial skin infection. Varagas is another word for Viking, or someone who's coming from those lands. Mark the hire monk was cured of a swelling on one of his cheeks. An aristocratic woman confined to her bed for 15 years was cured. Mercarius the monk was cured of stones. It is impossible to find the words to tell all of the others of all the others who were healed by this water, for many were cured and continue to be cured in, in our own day, for the grace of this water will never cease. And then the, the Synaxarian goes on and talks about the church at that spot, which was destroyed in 1453 at the fall of Constantinople. Uh, a pover- an impoverished small chapel existed after that at some point until 1821 and the Greek Revolution, and it was destroyed by the Muslims again. A small chapel was rebuilt in 1833, and in 1835 it was consecrated, only to be destroyed again in 1955 uh, by the Muslims of Constantinople uh, during that uprising against the Greeks. Uh, There's a church that exists to this day there that's been built, um, a small church, and is still a source of great miracles. Uh, It is known now in, in... the holy water is known now as Balukli, Balukli, which is the Turkish Balik, which means fish, because there are uh, fish flowing in the waters today. So that's a reading from our Sinexarian every day. Every day we read of the great miracles of healing from soul sicknesses of soul and body in the Sinexarian, in the lives of the saints. Uh, throughout the year. So anyone who has doubts, anyone who doesn't understand what the church is, it's a hospital, it's a place of healing, it's a place of uh, recovery from sicknesses. All he needs to do is to acquire the Synaxarian, go online, read the daily lives of the saints throughout the year. For those who have faith and come in humility to our Lord, it is just a prayer away from receiving the grace of God. Uh, In the Apolitikion for this feast, of the life-giving spring, it says that thy church of Theotokos is like the garden of paradise, since it pours out healings and cures like ever-living rivers. And this is truly not just this church, but the church is, is as paradise, two rivers flowing out from it. And the holy mysteries, our Lord himself, who is given and gives himself to every soul who comes, heals them of their sicknesses. So this is the answer to all of us who are being shaken in faith, uh, either by the stance that some have taken in the church, by closing the church and acting as if the church is not a hospital and does not need to be open, or the state by closing the churches as, as if the church is not a hospital that needs to be open, especially at such times, or uh, because of others who uh, have been scandalized and uh, are saddened by the uh, witness of the church. And there's all kinds of temptations that come during these times of trial. Now, let's get to the questions that some of you have written. Many um, of them center and focus on this uh, struggle, this, 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 this uh, agony of the faithful in the midst of this crisis. Uh, and so it's an opportunity for us to address those and to encourage people 
uh, in the right direction. So one inquirer wrote to me, this would have been my first Pascha at an Orthodox church. I was deeply, deeply saddened by the closing of the churches. I'm just an inquirer, but to me, fearfully running from this does not seem like the mark of those who trust in Christ. The church once did battle with heathens, and now we close the churches at the demand of governments who differ little from those heathens. Is the Greek church, he was talking about the Greek church, having its lampstand removed? And so you can see here the agony of this inquirer. He's still not even probably a catechumen. He's still struggling on the path to entering into the embrace of the mother, uh, which is the church and of our Lord. But he is... Uh, soul for which Christ has reposed, has died, and he has this uh, dilemma. I'm going to read you, before I talk about his question, his comments, another inquirer who wrote and had a very different response. It was in response to the last uh, podcast that we did with uh, and the preaching of Father Basil Voludakis in Athens, and he says, the inquirer says, that preaching in Athens out of righteous anger, moved me even nearer to my wish to convert to holy orthodoxy soon. As a Protestant, I cannot stay on our godless, sinking, rusty ship any longer. I want to board the holy ark. Please pray for me. So we have, there's, in every scandal, there's those who are the source of the scandal, those who are provoking it by their actions or words, which may or may not be accurate. We may see something and it actually not be the reality. So we always have to not trust ourselves. The first step is not to immediately trust ourselves and to wait and see and interpret things uh, over time uh, and, and seek God's enlightenment and the discernment to understand everything appropriately because many times we're not there to understand them. We don't have the experience, we don't have the knowledge. So it's always wise to be as humble as possible and to, and to uh, try to focus on the principles and the, the, the mindset of the church and interpret them always through that, which is a process that takes time for one to acquire. Uh, but in every scandal, there's those who, sca who are scandalizing and those who are scandalized, right? And so there's a, it's two-part. And you see it, two different answers to this scandal of the church closings today. Uh, on the one hand, there's a legitimacy to this person who says, what's going on here? I thought I was expecting the ancient church's response, right? This bold witness uh, before the heathen and the governments and all the rest. Uh, and there's, there's some obviously some legitimacy to what he's saying, absolutely. But the other inquirer says, the response of this priest in Athens to the closing of the churches inspires me to become orthodox. So he does not identify the church with either the hierarchy or one particular person, but rightly sees the uh, faith of uh, the priest and the confessors. And really what we need to look at is the saints. What do the saints do in every age? What do the saints say? We have many in the 20, 20th and 21st century that we can run to. They are the voice of the church. They are the voice of Christ on earth. They're the ones who, rep who we all submit to, whether we're hierarchs or priests or monks or lay people, we submit to the lives and the witness of Christ in the saints in every age. And they are the voice of, of the church. What are they saying? And so here he's moved by this confession of faith by this priest. You know, others uh, may not have been as inspired or may not identify with this righteous anger, 
it inspired him. And I think what he's looking for is that in this day and age when there's so, so, uh, so few voices of boldness and confession, whether it be in the midst of this crisis or whether it be with regards to the matters of faith, he is uh, he's looking at this and just rejoicing. And so we have we, we it's in our hands to a certain degree how we respond to whatever res- whatever response we're seeing on the part of the hierarchy. And a good thought, right? A kalolojismo, as we say in Greek, is really important. But there is absolute legitimacy. The church, is, uh, the church as a whole, in, in, in front of this crisis and to the people who are outside the church, we are missing an opportunity. Absolutely. We're missing an opportunity to show the faith of the, of the Orthodox to the world. How many would have been inspired to look into Orthodoxy if we had not and we had absolutely refused to close our churches and, and done it in such a way, of course, with great discernment to take the measures as he did in Georgia, keep the churches open, but do what is necessary, listen to the state and do what is necessary. It, it's possible for us to do this, and it was a missed opportunity. Let me go on to another, uh, another um, letter from another inquirer. Uh, I've chose those because I think that they're very instructive and I think there are maybe many people who are watching who are interested in the Orthodox Church or or catechumens. I've got a number of letters from catechumens. She writes, I had joined a Protestant church about three years ago and I became more and more dissatisfied with it as, as I desired and do desire to know God and live according to Christ's commandments. About three months ago, God brought me to the Orthodox Church. I found a particular church, I'm not going to name it, about an hour's drive away from me. I began catechism about six weeks ago. I've also done a lot of reading and watching uh, Orthodox videos on YouTube, and I'm in correspondence with a layperson who runs a mission uh, in another country. Let me just say, before we go on, it's wonderful people are getting catechized in places like this on YouTube, but none of this should be interpreted as a replacement of the parish and of a spiritual father, and of a local church, we all have to be a part of uh, the body of Christ in time and space. We cannot be alone. This is one another reason why this, this crisis is really uh, touching on some of the fundamental aspects of our life in Christ and our theology. We're saved in community, we're saved in a church, in a time and place, and we have to commune of the mysteries in that particular time. This is the scandal of the particular of the incarnation, that salvation will come through partaking, eating my body, drinking my blood, he says, oh, you have no life in you. And that's why it's so important that this person and every person becomes a part of a community and submits themselves to Christ in the person of the priest or bishop in every locality. Continuing the, the, the letter. As the world and the church has been experiencing this current crisis with COVID, I've become very disheartened with the choices that my priest and the, and the church have been uh, making regarding discontinuing services. Even more than, uh, than discontinued services, what bothers me most is that it appears to me that the church and my priest have chosen to take the stance of the world, the television, uh, the modern popular pseudoscience above God's word and the word of the church. Uh, I feel very conflicted. I finally found God's true church after seeking my entire life, and I finally see that there is a way to know Christ. But it seems also that the world has overtaken the church, God forbid. I do not trust my priest or the church, and do not wish to align myself with the world. 
I'm afraid that I will not have an opportunity to be baptized and chrismated. And at this point, I'm not sure that I should join myself to the church. If that means joining myself to a false church or under false authorities. Well, this is heart-wrenching and difficult to read. Encouraging on the one hand because they've understood, this person has understood, they found the church. They found Christ. This is the same thing. Church and Christ are one. That in here and only here, they're going to live uh, according to Christ's commandments and know God and, and, and be united to God. And this conviction must override all the other doubts. And again, I want to point out to this person, to all of us, that in spite of the sinful limitations of all of us, of every priest and bishop, uh, the church is Christ. And in Christ, in the church, we are saved. And uh, it is the ark of salvation, as this person and the previous person mentioned. Uh, so they have to um, overcome their doubts about the, the weaknesses of the people and embrace Christ. Now, does that mean they have to shut their eyes to uh, bad decision-making, uh, to uh, perhaps naivete or even uh, a, a certain um, lack of courage on the part of priests or bishops? Absolutely not. We're not when 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 we said when the Lord says do not judge it doesn't mean do not see and judge righteously He says that as well do not judge the eternal internal state of your brother that is God God alone knows the heart God alone knows the eternal place of everyone and so that judgment is God's alone but judgment of actions is absolutely given to us here this person is still very new to the faith six weeks in. And they need to work on uh, not having too much self-trust. At the same time, seek out and continue to pray fervently for a spiritual father, for a home, a spiritual home. Uh, there are other places, in particular this person was writing from a place, that there are other churches. Uh, and I would suggest that with love and discernment, without any kind of accusation, uh, the person find a spiritual home if this, this particular parish is not, uh, they've lost trust, they've lost uh, in, uh, feeling that they can submit themselves to particular people. Uh, it, there are, there are, are other parishes nearby, and they can go and with a blessing go from one parish to the other and, and, and become a part of that community. Um, but we should not allow this crisis or the actions of particular people during this crisis for us to be uh, taken away from Christ. That would be in a victory of the enemy. That would be a tragedy for each soul that did that. Uh, we have to have that discernment, make that distinction, uh, that it is a divine human organism, but many of the human people in this organism are not purified, are not enlightened, do not have the discernment, and so there are going to be mistakes made, there are going to be judgments that are not uh, according to God. That does not mean, therefore, that uh, we don't, uh, want, unite ourselves to Christ and we allow that scandal to take us away from Christ. That would be a tragedy. But I would say the following as well. These voices, which are many, should be uh, a wake-up call to all clergy and to bishops. Do we realize that we are scandalizing the little ones by the church closures? But not just by the church closures, the, the, the zeal by which we're, um, we're running behind uh, the state and the state's 
the state's admonitions. We just came out of 70 years of persecution by the state. I would think the general consciousness of the Orthodox Church would be much more sensitive to the role of the state than it is at this point, and not uh, immediately uh, trust, but think we are, uh, we have our own rules and principles, and we follow our own uh, set of, uh, of um, principles on these kind of questions. Uh, the bishops and all of us in, in among the clergy need to take heed that we are scandalizing people, and we need to re reverse course. Already in Greece, there are many bishops right after Pascha who've written letters and made statements that they want to see the churches opened immediately. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. We all need to remember, though, and know that the Lord has overcome the world, that the church is Christ. The church is not identified with any one part of the body, either the hierarchs or the laity or the monks. Christ is the head and we are his body. If we lose faith in the church, we will fall away from Christ. And this is the great temptation that's coming upon the world. We must not fall into this trap. We need to pay attention. The temptation of the latter days is to lose faith in the divine humanity of Christ. And this can and will happen on the ecclesiastical plane. In other words, when we lose faith in the church as the divine human body of Christ, we have fallen away from Christ. These are one and the same thing. The church is known in her saints in every age. We have many today. We trust Christ in them. If you lived in, if the person asking these questions or the persons who are scandalized, if we lived in days of trial and apostasy, we would have faced similar trials, either whether it be in the ancient church or the Turkish period or the communist persecution. But remember the fourth century. It was called the golden age of the church. Well, in that time, there were more heretics by far than there were holy orthodox hierarchs. They were the small minority. In fact, there was a time in Constantinople, right before the Second Ecumenical Council, that St. Gregory the Theologian came from the uh, eparch, the, the, the countryside, and came and had a, essentially a house church. And that was the only orthodox church left in the imperial capital. They were all Arians. And yet, very quickly... That was all overturned, and an emperor who was Orthodox came, and the Second Ecumenical Council took place. So we have to remember that even in the golden age of the church, the church was persecuted. The saints were few. And um, if we just read St. Basil the Great's letters and the saints of those days, you'll put everything into context. Uh, there's much more that I wanted to share with you. I've run out of time for this episode. We'll pick it up in the next episode, and we'll continue to look at the the letters that I've received, and we'll try to answer uh, your questions. Until then, God be with you. Christ is risen.